0: Mission is at the heart of the resurrection story. As I've been thinking through uh, John's Gospel, I've been thinking about the the message of the resurrection of Jesus and how this was a message that had to be shared. So the woman who visited the empty tomb, they were sent by the angels to tell the disciples the good news. Mary Magdalene. When she met Jesus, she was sent by Jesus to tell the disciples. The two who met Jesus on the road to Emmaus, that night they headed back to Jerusalem to tell the disciples what they discovered. Later, the ten disciples told Thomas all that they'd experienced. And Jesus commissioned all of them to go with the good news. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. But how are these disciples going to be able to share this good news with others? After all, Peter had denied Jesus. All but John had deserted him. And Thomas and the rest had doubted him. How is this small, weak and fearful community going to impact the world with the message of Jesus? And that's a crucial question for us today because each one of us who have trusted in Jesus have also been called to take this message to our generation. This is such good news that we just cannot keep it to ourselves. People need to know, because Jesus died and rose again, that they can be saved. That they can be saved completely. Their lives can be transformed. They can be brought into God's family. They can be given life eternal. But can people like us really impact our generation? Can we really share the gospel and see people's lives transformed? Well, the answer is yes. If we're willing to listen and obey. So, we're going to read from John chapter 21 this morning, uh, from verse 1 uh, down to verse 14. If you have a Bible, open it up, please. If not, just listen on as I read it to you. So, John chapter 21, verse 1. Afterwards, Jesus appeared again to his disciples by the Sea of Tiberias. It happened this way. Simon Peter, Thomas called Didymus, Nathanael from Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two other disciples were together. I'm going out to fish, Simon Peter told them. And they said, we'll go with you. So they went out and got into the boat But that night, they caught nothing. Early in the morning, Jesus stood on the shore. But the disciples did not realize that it was Jesus. He called out to them, Friends, haven't you any fish? No, they answered. He said, Throw your net on the right side of the boat and you will find some. When they did, They were unable to haul the net in because of the large number of fish. Then the disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, It's the Lord. As soon as Simon Peter heard him say, It is the Lord, he wrapped his outer garment round him, for he had taken it off, and jumped into the water. Then the other disciples followed in the boat, towing the net full of fish, for they were not far from shore, about a hundred yards. When they landed, they saw a fire of burning coals there with fish in it and some bread. Jesus said to them, Bring some of the fish you have, you have caught. Simon Peter climbed the board and dragged the net ashore. It was full of large fish, 153, but even with so many, the net was not torn. Jesus said to them, Come and have breakfast. None of the disciples dared ask him, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Jesus came, took the bread and gave it to them and did the same with the fish. This was now the third time Jesus appeared to his disciples after he was raised from the dead. Way back at the start, Jesus had called Peter from a life of fishing. In Matthew chapter 4, verse 19, Jesus said to them, Come, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Instead of catching fish, from then on, Peter would be part of Jesus' mission. He would rescue lost people by introducing them to the Saviour. It was an amazing call. To a life that would matter eternally. That changed lives. That glorified God. And Peter eagerly responded to it. Matthew 4 tells us that at once they left their nets and followed him. Peter left his old life behind. And he committed himself. To following Jesus with everything that he had. So if that's the case, why did Peter and the others go back to Galilee and and where they'd come from? And why did Peter say to six of them, I'm going out to fish? Well, at least in part, this was actually in obedience to Jesus' command. When Jesus met the women as they were coming from the empty tomb on that Easter Sunday, Jesus said to them, go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee, there they will see me. So Peter and the others were going back to Galilee in obedience to what Jesus had told them with the expectation of seeing Jesus again but of course that doesn't explain why Jesus and the others went fishing when they'd left that old life why would they go fishing again well maybe we should commend Peter for trying to support himself doing something practical to support himself and to support the others maybe he was just doing what the apostle Paul did as he worked as a tent maker on his missionary journeys. He said to the church leaders in Ephesus, you yourselves know that these hands of mine have supplied my own needs and the needs of my companions. So as Paul travelled around, he did his, his, his ordinary everyday job as well as sharing the gospel. It reminds us that there's no sacred, secular divide in the Christian life. If we're living for Jesus, then working to provide for ourselves or our families, to provide for our needs, is just as honourable as ministering for Jesus. Our regular jobs are things we do for Him. The Apostle Paul told the slaves in Colossae, whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for men. So you can fish for Jesus. You can make tents for Jesus. You can work as a teacher for Jesus. You can work in a shop for Jesus. You can work whatever it is for Jesus. However, saying that, I can't help but think that Peter here, in some way, is kind of taking a step back from his calling. Maybe he felt like a failure for denying his Lord. Maybe he felt like he was too weak and he wouldn't be able to take a stand for Jesus. Maybe he felt that he wasn't able to, to have the power to, to serve him in his kingdom. So maybe Peter here was going back to his old job. Giving up on Jesus' call. And settling for second best in his life. I wonder if you know what that feels like. Jesus said that I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. Jesus came to give us a life of purpose and meaning and fruitfulness. And if we've trusted in Jesus then we have received the Holy Spirit to empower us, to enable us to do this. to, To lead us into truth, to guide us, to enable us to serve God. And yet sometimes we might feel like giving up. Maybe not giving up believing in Jesus, but giving up on the dream of passionately living for Jesus of fulfilling His call on our lives to serve Him in a way that makes a difference in the world. Instead of being in the centre of God's will, when we struggle with failure or disappointment or doubt, we can be tempted to settle for second best. Retreat from the battle. Back to our comfort zone. Back to a life that's less radical, less challenging. This is something I've often battled with. Many years ago when we were just coming out of Bible college, or coming to the end of our Bible college course, I didn't feel able to be involved in what God was calling me to do. So I wanted to go back to what I did before, to biochemistry. Back to what I felt I could do, that I had the ability to do. And over the years since then, I've often felt like that. When times get hard, when I feel like a failure, I want to go, I'm tempted to retreat and to go back to what I used to be able to do. Maybe you felt the same. Have you ever felt too messed up to really be able to serve God effectively? Maybe you feel too young or too old. Or too quiet, or too inexperienced, or too ill, or too busy, or whatever it is. Have you swallowed that lie from the devil that says that who you are or the circumstances that you're in mean that you have to settle for second best in your life? That you really can't live that passionate, wholehearted, single-minded life. For Jesus. Of course living for Jesus is tough. But we don't need to give up. We don't need to settle for second best. Let us not become weary in doing good, Paul writes in Galatians 6. For at the proper time, we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. And we can do this because Jesus won't give up on us. Jesus wasn't going to let Peter walk away. Peter, Jesus wasn't going, wasn't going to leave Peter on the reject pile. Yes, Peter had failed, but he wasn't a failure. Jesus broke into that fishing trip that day To tell him that he did not need to settle for second best. And to show him how he was going to serve him in his kingdom. Peter and the others didn't have a successful night fishing. We read in verse 3 that that night they caught nothing. Now this was not punishment for Peter's denial. Neither was it punishment because Peter was doing something he shouldn't be doing and going fishing that night. This was not a sign of God's anger with him. Instead, actually, this was an act of God's grace. This was an expression of God's love for Peter. Because through this, Jesus was going to teach Peter a crucial lesson. Through this emptiness, Jesus wanted to help him to step into his fullness. I think often we think that emptiness and loss are a sign of failure or God's displeasure in our life. But rather, we need to realize that in everything, God is working for our good. He is always for us. He is always seeking to help us to grow closer to Him, to grow in a relationship with Him, and to become more like Him. So don't look on emptiness or frustration Or difficulties in your life as a sign that you must have done something wrong. Or that somehow God has left you. Or doesn't love you anymore. It's often in those difficult places, often in those places of emptiness, that we grow in our understanding of how we can live in the fullness that Christ has for us. But of course, at the time... That night, for Peter and the others, this must have been frustrating. To have worked hard all night and caught nothing. Especially for Peter and the sons of Zebedee. Because they were experienced fishermen. They were experts on the Sea of Galilee. But they caught nothing. And then to make matters worse, somebody on the shore shouted to them, Friends, haven't you any fish? Now, nobody on board knew who that was. Maybe it was just the distance that they were from him. Maybe it was because it was still dark. Maybe Jesus had actually hid his identity from them, like we've seen before in, the, in these last, few cha- last chapter that we've been looking at. But whatever the reason for them not recognising Jesus on the shore, I don't think they would have enjoyed this question. They wouldn't really want to publicise their failure to catch anything. But it was then that the the man on the shore shouted back a really unusual order. Look at verse 6. Throw your net on the right side of the boat and you will find some. Now, I really don't know much about fishing. I did it a bit when I was a kid. I haven't done it really for years. But I'm pretty sure that if you're not catching anything on that side of the boat, then it's not going to really make a difference to go into the other side of the boat. It doesn't make any logical sense. How could someone a hundred yards from the shore know where the fish were? After all, weren't Peter, James and John the experts in fishing here? They didn't need advice from somebody, some random stranger. And yet for some reason, they listened to what this man said. Maybe out of frustration, they just got their net and threw it on the other side of the boat. And when they did, they were unable to haul in, the net in because of the large number of fish. This was an absolutely massive catch. John actually tells us 153 large fish. It's quite amusing when you read the commentators about this because so many of them have tried to find a a reason, a, a meaning, a hidden significance in the number 153. Some people have been very creative in trying to find that hidden meaning. I think it's just that John recorded this number because when a fisherman... Catches 153 large fish. He wants to count them and he wants to tell people. Now, if you know a fisherman, they're always telling you how big the fish was. That they nearly caught, maybe. But before they could get to the, them to shore, John had an amazing revelation. He turned to Peter and said, It is the Lord. course it was. Who else could do something like this? Who else could fill empty nets? After all, this was not the first time that Jesus had done something like this with his disciples. A few years earlier, Peter and Andrew had fished all night and caught nothing. The next day, Jesus had used their boat as a floating platform to speak to the crowds on the shore. And then Jesus had turned to Peter and Andrew and said, Put out into deep water and let down your nets for a catch. Now it was was the wrong time of day to fish. And they just cleaned their nets. So they didn't really want to do this. But because Jesus had told them to, they obeyed. And when they did, they caught so many fish that their boat nearly sank. So no wonder John recognised who it was on the shore. Jesus was doing here in John chapter 21 what he had done before, recorded in Luke chapter 5. he was doing this so they could recognise him. But also so they could remember what he had told them. What he had taught them. These miracles were important lessons about the key to effectiveness in their lives. On their own... Depending on their own abilities and their own strengths, they experienced emptiness and frustration. But when they listened to Jesus and obeyed him, their nets were filled beyond their wildest dreams. And this was how they would be effective in their ministry. If they tried to serve God depending on their own strength, their own ideas, their own abilities, then they would always experience emptiness and frustration. But if they instead listened and sought to obey Jesus in everything that they did, then they would ultimately experience effectiveness and fruitfulness. And this is what Jesus had taught them in the upper room. Just before He went to the cross, Jesus said, If a man remains in me, and I in him, he will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Without Jesus, we'll accomplish nothing of lasting value. Relying on our own resources, our own dedication, our own hard work we will produce no fruit for God. On our own, we don't have the power to follow God's commands, to serve Him or to impact this world. On our own, we can't change ourselves, never mind anybody else. But if we want to be fruitful in our lives if we want to increasingly become like Jesus, if we want to increasingly live out His purpose and His plans for our lives, if we want to be involved in His mission of bringing people to Himself, if we want to honour God with our lives, then we need to remain in Him. Fruitfulness in our lives is not dependent on our background, our intelligence, our education, our experience. It's simply a matter of remaining in Christ, and Christ remaining in us. And this lesson was so important. So vitally crucial for Peter and the other disciples to learn that Jesus taught them it twice. He taught them this at the start of their time together and here at the end of their time together. Of course Jesus didn't need to do this. He didn't need to teach them this lesson all over again. Peter and the others should have listened the first time. But out of love, Jesus reinforced this lesson because love is patient. And that is so encouraging for us. Because often we don't fully grasp God's truth the first time that we hear it. Or the second time, or the third time, or the fourth time. We need to hear God's truth again and again and again to let it sink into our hearts. That's why Paul told Timothy, preach the word in season and out of season. Correct, rebuke, and encourage with great patience and careful instruction. We need to let God speak His Word into our hearts repeatedly. Because it takes time for us to learn. It takes time for this truth to sink down deep within us. And I think this is especially the case when it comes to the key to fruitfulness in our lives. We can so easily fall back into self-confidence... Thinking that we can do it on our own? Or self-condemnation? Thinking that we're so bad that we're never ever going to be able to do anything for God. And so again and again, we need to be reminded to put our confidence in the Lord. So that we can say with Paul, I can do everything Through him who gives us strength. Not I can't do anything, not I can do everything on my own, but I can do everything through Christ because He is the one who strengthens us. This is the key to fruitfulness in our lives. It's by living constantly in relationship with Christ, depending on Him, trusting in Him, listening to His words, living out His love, following His commands. It is living with Christ as our centre. And this is what Jesus invited Peter and the rest of the disciples here to experience Peter was so excited to, to know that it was Jesus on the shore that he jumped into the water and swam to shore. The other disciples followed in the boat, dragging the net with, behind them. When they landed, they saw a fire of burning coals there with fish in it and some bread. In an act of loving service, Jesus had provided them with everything that they needed. He would built a fire to help them to dry off and to warm themselves. He provided them bread and fish to satisfy their hunger. Even though He also allowed them to contribute with the fish that they had caught. But most of all, Jesus provided Himself. He invited them to a fellowship with Him. Come, come. And have breakfast, he said. The fire was warm. The food was welcome. But what made this time so special was the fellowship with Jesus. This is what would sustain them and empower them throughout their ministry. On their own, they would have accomplished nothing. But because they were partners with Christ, because they were filled with His love, because they were listening to His word, because they were obeying His commands, sharing His truth, depending on His power, they actually took this gospel, this good news of Jesus to the world. And they saw thousands of lives transformed. And folks, this is what will sustain us too, and empower us in our ministry, in our life for Jesus. On our own, we can accomplish nothing. We cannot effectively take the message of the gospel of Jesus' death and resurrection to anyone. We can't see lives transformed. We cannot live out the life that Jesus called us to on our own. But if we are willing to partner with Christ, if we're willing to spend time with Him, if we're willing to remain in His love, listen to His word, obey His commands, share His truth, depend on His power, then we can take this gospel to our generation and God will use you and I to bring men and women and young people into a saving knowledge of Christ to His honour and for His glory. So is that what we're willing to do? Are we willing to remain in Christ and let Christ remain in us so that we will be able to bear fruit for him?